0: Hello, and welcome to the latest installment of the Chaplain Tim podcast. This is a venture we launched last week, and I want to thank all of you who sent me a message of encouragement after listening to the first one. I appreciate that. It, well, it inspires me. Let's just put it that way. I thank those of you that shared it. I appreciate that you found something in the content that you found worth sharing, I hope that that will continue over the next few months, and uh, the show will be evolving over the next few months as we try to figure out the personality of it, the signature of it, to try to come up with content that is most relevant to the people that listen. So we may try various genres here to see what works best and see where we end up, but I appreciate you stopping by. The title of this podcast this week, I'm I'm going to dive right in, and I'm going to share something that's really in, important to me, and that's Uh, political and, and civic engagement. The title of this podcast is, Will America Make It Back? And that may be an unsettling title for some of you because of what it implies. But I think we cannot ignore that we're living in very trying times, both nationally and internationally. And it's very uncertain the direction America is going to take. There is a big, big battle going on for the soul of this nation. Uh, anybody that doesn't believe that is not really paying attention. And I think the political issues of the day are often the moral issues of the day. And because they are, I think Christians need to strain what they see in the world through a biblical strainer, or look at it through a biblical lens, if you will. And yes, this is a Christian-based podcast, and I try to evaluate my world through a biblical lens and communicate what I think the truth is to the audience. And one of the things that I have a a passion for is political and civic engagement, whether it's grassroots advocacy, whether you run for office, or whether you get involved at the citizen level by writing a letter to the editor or testifying at a school board meeting or a city council meeting, or you go up to your state capitol and advocate for a certain issue before the state legislature, whatever it happens to be. But I think that there are Christian principles for doing that, and I want to share some of those today, some I've applied myself, and some I think are just worth taking from the show. Now, to take something away from the podcast today, it doesn't really matter if you believe in God, Jesus Christ, the Easter Bunny, or the Holy Spirit, because the principles I'm going to speak about are written in the laws of nature and in the conscience of each individual man. And I'm going to take that from the Apostle Paul when he wrote in the book of Romans that individuals show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now, these divine laws are fixed in our universe. The Greeks called them natural laws. Others did too. And so it doesn't really matter if you're a theist, an atheist, or a humanist, whether you believe in God or not. These moral and natural laws are absolute and they're hardwired into your DNA. They don't leave any room for debate. And in our debates about government, politics, and society, we should not be advocating for one party over another or right versus left, we should be advocating an embrace of those inherent and timeless principles that undergird our nation. You know, I hate those labels to start with because it leaves room for too much betrayal. You expect something from one person that claims they're the right or the left, and you get disappointed and you get something entirely different. Well, Francis Schaefer, who was a Presbyterian apologist and a polemic who wrote the Christian Manifesto years ago in response to the Communist Manifesto and the Humanist Manifestos? He said, There's no difference between an authoritarian government from the right or the left. The results are the same. And we have seen this in all political persuasions in history act in an authoritarian fashion that wasn't really to benefit the citizens it was meant to serve and protect. Now, I want to submit that in our government today, there is no such thing as a right or left, a Republican or a Democrat, conservative or liberal, I think those, I don't even know why we use those labels anymore. I look at politicians by and large in the national capital or state capitals. And I I think if you threw them all into one bag and you shook them up and you pull them out individually, they'd all be the same. But I think there's only good versus evil, right versus wrong. And truth versus deception. And I really think it's that cut and dried. And I know I might sound a little bit militant by saying that, but I really believe that's the truth. And while it's still in our power as Americans to choose good, to choose right, and to choose truth, we must ensure that we do so and do that over party loyalty, personal ideology, and over pragmatism. Back in 1951, there was a Supreme Court case that was decided. And the chief justice at the time, Frederick Moore Vinson, said something that has become a foundational philosophical thought in viewing social morality ever since. He said, quote, nothing is more certain in modern society than the principle that there are no absolutes. Time magazine thought that sentiment was great, praised it. No surprise to those of us who know the media. The attempts to drum this philosophical thought into us comes from all directions and mediums. Movies, music, social media, social studies in our school systems, ad nauseum. And it's said that truth now varies from person to person. What may be right for you may not be right for me. That kind of thought's even celebrated today. I think we define it as woke or progressive. And we accept things now as true that would have been considered vulgar or offensive a generation ago. I'll let you look back into any news story, and you you find out what I mean by that. The very essence of society's concept of truth has changed so much so that the Oxford Dictionary of the new word in 2016. It was their word of the year: post-truth. And it's an adjective, and it's defined this way: relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Interesting. Now, I'd offer my own opinion and say I think that extends virtually to any field that we like, whether it's politics, sociology, education, medicine, etc. And further, any ideology can use that adjective against their ideological opponents. And the word's dangerous, really, because since every ideology believes they're the right one, morality becomes relative to ever-vacillating standards of truth. And the result of that is constant ideological strife and division that just spreads like an aggressive cancer through our politics, our belief systems, our churches, our schools, everywhere, even our families, which I think weakens the strongest adhesive of the social fabric of the nation. Now, this is a moral relativism that we cannot abide in a free society, and any society that does abide it won't be free very long. We cannot have a freedom without a firm foundation, or we'll have a freedom that leads to chaos, anarchy, a complete breakdown of society. And a freedom without foundation is not really freedom at all. The word for that is licentious, which is defined as using license, indulging freedom, there's that word, to access but it's unrestrained by law or morality. It exceeds the limits of law or propriety. This type of freedom empowers hedonism, which is that simple belief that pleasure or the absence of pain is the most important principle in determining the morality of a potential course of action. You do what you think is right, and consequences be damned, and be damned to those people it affects. The notion of freedom today is being used to defend hedonism and any chaos it brings with it. You look at the riots of 2019-2020, which burned down neighborhoods and businesses. What'd they call that? Freedom to protest? That's what they said. That's a great example of what I just illustrated. Now, the moral absolutes must serve as the foundation of our government and our society if it's going to work. And I believe that there are two sets of values driving the political discourse today. Those are the ever-shifting values articulated in the statement of Justice Vincent and the absolutes that are anchored in the sacred text of the Bible and revealed in our natural laws. The absolutes that serve as the foundation and anchor of our system of government, the guardian of individual liberties, as expressed by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. And even Ulysses S. Grant, that great Union general who defeated the Confederacy and ended the scourge of slavery and later became president, he said, hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties, write its precepts in your hearts and practice them in your lives. George Washington, in his farewell address in 1796, said of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, a strong nation, a little ad-libbing by me, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. These firmest props of the duties of men and citizens, the mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and cherish them. That's what he said. You don't find these moral supports in any particular party. Washington hated political parties. And they're found within, in our conscience, placed there by a divine lawgiver. The responsibility to cherish the principles of morality and religion, Washington said, is not just the responsibility of the politician. It falls on the pious man. Well, who is that? Well, it's we the people. We are the pious man. It's our duty, each one of us, to exercise that conscience when we engage with our government, whether it's in the voting booth, a school board meeting, or conversations with our elected officials. We are the government. The Constitution reads, we the people of the United States. It's our responsibility as pious and moral people to protect it, to fight for it, and to elect those who will stand with us to do the same, regardless of their party. And more importantly, I think we need to remove from the halls of our government those who would try to subvert it and replace it with laws that do not encourage freedom but rather dependence on a self-anointed few who see the people as needing to be controlled or manipulated so they can accomplish installing a value system opposed to yours? Our government is full of people who are trying to do this, and they're out in the open about it. They don't want God anywhere. They don't want Christian values anywhere. They don't want principles based on Christian morality anywhere. They want to replace it with a humanistic set of values that has no firm foundation, that can vary from person to person, that can vary from generation to generation. We must understand that engaging with our government and political system is not just speaking truth to power. We see these videos on the internet where people speak before legislators, they speak to other officials, and they give them this passionate lecture on what our government and constitution is supposed to mean. I get that. I appreciate the passion. I even appreciate the sentiments of the videos that I see, and I even find them to be largely true. And they speak these things to these legislators or elected officials as as if the legislators or elected officials are innocently ignorant of what the Constitution says. Well, I got a flash for you. They're not ignorant. No, 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 no. Ignorance is not their problem. Their problem is that they know their actions violate the Constitution and our values. The problem is they don't care, and they're going to keep pushing the boundaries. They're going to keep changing it. They're going to keep going against it until somebody stops them. That constitution is only as strong as the resolve of the men sworn to uphold it, or entrusted to defend it, or have a passion to defend it. They are opposed to our present government and system of values, and they're looking to replace it. That's it. It's that simple. They're even admitting it. They want to do away with it. The Constitution is outdated. It needs to go. We need to rewrite it. We need to do something else. These people are subject to the whims of a fallen nature. And that nature doesn't regard divine or moral absolutes at all. There is no belief in God. There is no fear of God. There is no respect for biblical principles. They just want to do away with them. These politicians don't need to be educated, okay? They need to be exposed and replaced by someone who shares the values that birthed and preserved this country. The only way to deal with these folks is to vote them out of office. The power of our government is in the people. I think we all know that. And we do well to educate our friends, family, and neighbors. Instead of politicians who are only going to pay lip service to what you say. They know what you say is true, and they don't care. We want to inform our friends, family, and neighbors so that they become informed voters not cult of personality voters. And we have to dismiss this ridiculous notion that exercising our morality against the conventional political wisdom will lead to disaster, that we must then compromise our principles, the whole go along to get along idea. I disagree with that. Take a good long look at the state of our nation today. Take a good look. We must Exercise our individual God-given rights and choose the right path and trust God for the outcome. I need to add something here. God is not neutral in good versus evil. The Bible is full of examples where God judged nations for turning away from him and living as if he did not exist. We may have to consider, and I hate to have to consider this, that America... And what she is suffering today is exactly what she deserves because of the sins of her past and her failure to repent. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. But it is something that we need to consider. And as we act as individuals, we have a responsibility to avoid the philosophy that says, choose the lesser of two evils. It is still to choose evil if you do that. John Adams wrote in 1798, Our government was written for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Wholly inadequate. There is no room in America for the lesser of two evils. And there was a time in this country, in America, when we believed this. The great statesman Noah Webster, yes, and he also wrote a dictionary, but he was also a great statesman. He said, no truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. And Webster wasn't alone in that thinking. In fact, the seeds of his reasoning were planted long ago, inspired by the work of Protestant reformers and a little colony in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. At great risk, a group of English settlers went there. They came ashore. They plowed a wooden cross into the sand, and they dedicated the land to Almighty God. It was written in the colony's second charter, May 23rd, 1609. The principal effect which we can expect or desire of this action is the conversion and reduction of the people in those parts under the true worship of God and the Christian religion. Those sentiments were echoed in every founding charter of colonial America. Go back and read the history books that they no longer teach. And the settlers came in droves to the place where one could worship God freely. We know about the Pilgrims, we know about the Mayflower, and their faithfulness and inspiration would influence the men who would later found this great nation. They weren't perfect. They were products of their times. They did things like slavery that we do not condone, that the Christian faith does not condone. I'm not making excuses for them, but the theme that they tried to teach was the true worship of God and the Christian religion. And to know God and Jesus Christ was a theme woven through our nation's educational system until, oh, the 1960s. The Bible was every school's textbook up to a point. And we passed those beliefs on to succeeding generations. The first and second great awakenings, great spiritual revivals in America led by the evangelists of Jonathan Edwards, considered the greatest philosopher America ever produced, George Whitfield, Charles Finney, some others. And no nation on earth has enjoyed the prosperity of the United States of America. That's a fact. And America's blessings point back to her foundations and the providential hand of Almighty God. And her great spiritual blessings unfolded by remarkable design, so also her constitution and the great freedoms it guarantees. And with grateful and humble hearts, Americans once honored God, but slowly, America changed. We changed, and we began to attribute our blessings not to God, but to men, and God-fearing people let this happen. Now, I suppose you can blame almost anything. We can blame the Bible, the critics, the modernists, the liberals, the Marxists, the socialists. I don't care. Fill in whoever you want, anyone else you choose, but a large amount of the blame must be placed squarely on our shoulders because we have not protected this God-given heritage. God-fearing Americans, we watched in silence while our leadership abandoned these moral foundations. Most said nothing while God was pushed out of our society, confined to the churches. And today they're trying to drive God out of those, trying to regulate churches, trying to regulate what pastors can and cannot say. We sat idly by while they took the Bible out of our schools. They told children they can't pray. I just read this week, local school system here where, where I where I live, they want to allow children to not have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And the school board approved it. I I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. We stood silent and we let them all say, we don't need God anymore. We can do it ourselves. And for some reason some reason, became taboo to bring the values we learned into our churches and were passed down from our forefathers into the halls of our government. And our religion and politics were so interwoven at one time that Alexis de Tocqueville and Democracy uh, in America, you can read that book. I've, I've vetted it. I've seen it. I know the quote is there. He said that in America, religion was indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. Indispensable. Know what that means? It means Republican institutions will not survive without it. And we are seeing the evidence with our crumbling foundations all across this country. And there was a time in America where we looked to our houses of worship for guidance. I go back to 9-11 and the church attendance that spiked in the weeks after that event. Because that's where Americans historically had gone when faced with great difficulty or tragedy or, or things like that. We used to go to our houses of worship for guidance, for comfort. But today, churches don't speak with a moral voice to the political issues. They don't speak out against corrupt leaders. They don't endorse political candidates who support a certain value system, which we all embrace. We've let the government intimidate them into silence, denying our citizens a much-needed moral compass. If ever there was a time we needed a moral compass, it's now. And we replaced it instead with a vacillating standard based on whatever direction the prevailing political wind is blowing. Watch any politician change their mind depending on which way the political wind is blowing. And as a result of this, we have elected enemies of our common virtue. We've allowed contrary values into our society. A moral government founded in religious principle is America's heritage. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And then he further emphasized that we have to exercise that choice by electing people who reflect our values and reflect our morality. He was very specific. He said we should elect and choose Christians for our rulers. And that is what he believed true moral government was. You ask why our Constitution isn't working? Because we've abandoned the foundation of our morality. We no longer seek to do what's right before God. We seek to do what's right for us. Our freedoms have become corrupted in this pursuit of licentiousness. We're finding more and more that our government no longer reflects these values. We find more and more that our government is reflecting these values of licentiousness, these new values, which would be foreign to our forefathers. We're being told what our labor is worth, how our children should be raised, what our children are taught, and don't you dare interfere. By golly, the public school system and the teachers, they know more than you, the parent, what your child needs to be educated. We're being told what we should believe, what we should think about everything, what we should speak about anything, and how we should defend ourselves and our families. And it's all contrary to our moral values and God-given rights. Further, (laughs) we're seeing this in countries around the world. Now you can go to jail, lose your business, lose your children, be socially ostracized if you don't agree with the political discourse that's being pumped by our media. And our government at all levels is increasingly more and more and more in conflict with our values. Difficult times are upon us, and I'm afraid we'll likely get worse. And we as a moral society, you know, we lament and we Bemoan the lack of character and morality in our leaders, and we get upset at the trampling of our self evident God given freedoms by unscrupulous politicians. And we get really angry at the lack of moral character and values in our leadership. But we have to come to realize that we put them there. We put them in office. We voted for them, and we're reaping the consequences of our actions. There are consequences for that. That is biblical. That is a foundational biblical principle. We've been fooled into believing that certain party platforms are moral. And we should vote for all who, you know, who belong to that party. Now, speaking for myself, I've been fooled one too many times to believe that anymore. I find my values in the Holy Bible, not a party platform. And I refuse to vote for anyone who doesn't reflect them, even if that means leaving a ballot blank. And I'm going to trust in God for the outcome. And further than that, i got to trust in God for an outcome I may not like. If we trust the providence, we trust that God's plan is just and good, even if it happens to be a plan that we don't like. Now, government shouldn't be a personality contest. It shouldn't be about likability. It shouldn't be about wealth. It shouldn't be about a political party. It should be about values. It should be about morality. It should be about trust. It should be about integrity. It should be about faith. It should be about giving our nation back to the providential hand of Almighty God. And maybe, just maybe, God will bring America back. You know, as Washington said, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. Now, it's these principles which made our country great and free, and it's these principles to which we must return. I want to thank you for listening to this installment of the Chaplain Tim podcast. You can subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's there now. I got approved for that a few days ago. It's on Spotify or on Anchor, and you can visit my page on Facebook. I want to thank you for stopping by today. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to send me a note and let me know. Feel free to share this with your friends and any other wisdom you gleaned from it. Until next time, God bless you, and you have a great day.